The materials provided are for information only and do not constitute as an offer. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors. Neither Zach or Jack are financial advisors. The information contained in this podcast episode has been compiled with considerable care to ensure its accuracy at the date of publication. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made to accuracy or completeness. We shall not be responsible for any consequential effect, nor be liable for any direct, consequential, incidental, indirect loss or damage, however caused, arising from the use of, inability to use, or reliance upon any information or materials provided on this podcast, whether or not such loss or damage is caused by us. Links to third-party sites are provided for your information only. The content and software of these sites have been issued by third parties. As such, we cannot be responsible for the accuracy of information contained in these sites, nor be held liable for any loss or damage arising from or related to their use. Investors should be cautious about any and all crypto asset and investment recommendations and should consider the source of any advice on crypto asset selection. Various factors, including personal or corporate ownership, may influence or factor into an expert's stock analysis or opinion. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual crypto assets before making a purchase decision. In addition, investors are advised that past crypto asset performance is no guarantee of future price appreciation. Do not invest money you cannot afford to lose. All investments come with a degree of risk. Hey, Jack. Hey, Zach. How are you doing today? I'm all right. I'm I'm a little sick. I imagine I'll sound a little more nasally than I already do uh, over the recorder today. But you know that's not why we're here. We're here to discuss you know tokenomics and you know an exciting project in the crypto space. And to tell us more about this is Jaron Lukasevich. Uh, he is the CEO of Influential Capital and also based in one of our you know, favorite places in the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. So Jaron, how are you doing today? I'm great, guys. So you're an advisor and uh, investor of Verdium, right? Yeah, that's right. So what initially kind of attracted you to the project? So for those of you listening who don't know who I am, I've been in the crypto space since 2012, and I've really seen it evolve over the years. And I became active in ICOs as they started taking off about a year and a half ago. And, you know, one of the issues that I think we've really had in in the space is a lack of, of amazing projects and teams. And when I came across the Viridium project, it was exciting to see a project that really was the polar opposite of that, a, a great company with a great partnership like IBM and, and really a company that has a mission that goes much larger than just making money. Climate change is one of the big issues facing humanity right now. And to have a project that is has a team with 20 years of experience at industry, and I'm not saying combined individually, that is attacking the problem in the right way that can bring real Fortune 500 companies into using more carbon credits. I think all of those aspects of the project combined are really what made me initially excited about it. Fantastic. So let's take a step back and walk us back into what is Viridium trying to accomplish? And I guess more broadly speaking, what are carbon credits and how are they being used to address climate change? For those of 
you who don't know out there, carbon credits are one of the two main mechanisms that people are looking at today to solve climate change. Um, you often hear about carbon credits and carbon taxes. And what I like about carbon credits is both of them are effectively a tax on carbon emitting companies, but carbon credits go beyond a tax and actually use the funds raised to directly fund projects that offset carbon emissions. So uh, in the case of the Viridium team, they actually saved, I believe, about 100,000 hectares in Indonesia that was about to be converted to palm oil fields. And in doing so, and this is one of the big problems that we're seeing in Southeast Asia today, by the way, is, is Indonesian landholders are literally burning forests down, which you you just take the emissions from those trees, which have carbon in them already, and you burn that into the atmosphere. That's the first kind of travesty against our environment. And then the second is that you no longer have those trees there to act as a carbon sink in the future. So you kind of have a, a double hit there. And and this is an example of, of what a carbon project might look like. So, you know, my goal is to get more of these projects funded. That's the Viridium team's goal. And our combined mission here is to create an exchange that uh, really has the potential to be the largest natural asset exchange in the world. So we are uh, we're working with the company to help them bring that to market. And blockchain is at the center of it all. So blockchain, you know, I think a lot of crypto projects out there use blockchain in a very artificial way. And that's definitely not the case here. What blockchain really enables here is tokenized assets. In this case, tokenized carbon credits, although you can really tokenize a lot of different types of natural assets. And that makes them highly transferable across different countries, across different applications. It, it really unlocks carbon credits from what they are today, which is primarily OTC traded assets that can only be used in an institutional account. Okay, so on its face, it obviously sounds like a very good thing to be doing, um, making carbon emissions more expensive and using the proceeds to fund projects that help the environment that would otherwise not be feasible in a free market economy or I guess maybe free market economy is the wrong word, at least our, our current market economy. So can you talk more specifically about how Viridium allows this to happen? Allows what specifically to happen? So first of all, I guess let's just break it down. So I'm a Fortune 500 company that releases a lot of carbon emissions. Why would I care to purchase carbon credits since it'll likely make my product more expensive to consumers? This is a great question. And actually, the answer to it surprised me. We all know that government mandates are growing for carbon credits. And with the Paris Agreement kicking in in a couple of years, that's going to grow. But really, where the demand for carbon credits and in increasing use of them is coming from is from ESG investors. So if you, if you look today, and you can actually find more information about this on Viridium's website, Viridium.io, there are trillions of dollars of assets that have been committed to ESG standards. And, and that's really important because what investors are telling companies is 
we won't invest in you and we won't maintain investments in you if you don't actually take actions to reduce your carbon footprint. And that's really important because that means that the private market is actually creating the greatest impact today in this kind of movement towards addressing global climate change. So in that circumstance where it's not, you know, obviously you could have scarcity of carbon credits be dictated by a government that was going to coerce private companies and, you know, other individuals not to use carbon, you know, in excess of their cap. In this setting where we're saying it's pressure from investors and perhaps consumers that are causing companies to adopt the use of carbon credits, what are the mechanisms for price setting in that industry? You know, if it's all fairly voluntary, how does the price for a carbon credit get set? Well, I think this is one of the big issues that Viridium addresses. There are so many types of carbon credits out there that have different prices, different characteristics, and some may be 10 years old, some may be one year, one year old. They're called vintages. It's challenging for corporations to even know what carbon credits they should buy. So what Viridium is doing is creating a basket token that really reflects a, a bundle of different types of carbon credits. So uh, mo- most of them come from the Red Plus standard, which is a standard that the team had a very heavy involvement in creating and is now part of the Paris Agreement itself. Red Plus addresses more than just the carbon offset. It's really around deforestation. Deforestation sounds like a real hippie term, but it's actually pretty important stuff because, um, like I mentioned about Indonesia earlier, countries around the world are literally burning forests down. And those are the primary mechanism we have for offsetting emissions today. So, you know, we live in a very globalized, consumer-driven economy, and this is one of the side effects from it. And unfortunately, it, it won't be sustainable. I'm curious, I want to get into the specifics of how this sort of transaction unfolds. So who does a company approach in terms of purchasing carbon credits and then how are those carbon credits then distributed to projects that are looking or seeking to improve environmental conditions? That's a very interesting question. Today, there are only about 80 market participants in the carbon credit market. And there really isn't an exchange today that, that trades these assets. There was an exchange that was acquired by uh, the ICE exchange, which is like a very large Wall Street institution. And they eventually shut it down. They bought it in advance of the belief that there might be a national policy created around carbon credits. It didn't happen. They shut it down. Timing was off. But the the asset they were building was actually very a very good one. And what you see is that today, you know, corporations really can only purchase carbon credits from a handful of OTC traders today. Or they can buy them directly from the projects. And generally, you know, these are multi-million dollar trades that are done at a heavy discount to the projects themselves. So what what we're trying to do is create mechanisms to fund more projects by allowing them to pre-sell some of their carbon credits. Um, We're creating liquidity in that market 
So in a market today that's traded primarily OTC, if we can bring in new traders, new companies, and and frankly, this is a you could look at the exchange as as a protocol that developers can build around. It, it really acts like that given its blockchain nature. So by bringing in mid and smaller tier players, as well as the large ones that already exist in the space, we believe that a, a better pricing mechanism can, can emerge out of it. And, and over the long run, that means that maybe companies don't buy uh, most of their carbon credits OTC. Maybe they actually buy them from an exchange as they go, um, which would be a much easier process because then they can also buy them as they go. And and one thing I should also mention about Viridium Solution is that today you really have to hire a consultant who figures out how many carbon credits you need to buy. Like uh, you and I, if someone told us, hey, you now have this requirement that you need to go buy a bunch of, uh, you need to offset your carbon emissions, like we wouldn't even know where to begin. And Viridium's platform automates that entire part of the process, which is incredibly valuable. So instead of just trying to figure that out and hiring a bunch of consultants to do it, they've created a platform that allows you to uh, name the size of your transaction and the type. And just with those two variables alone, it'll automatically figure out how many carbon credits need to be purchased. And then it automates that purchase on Viridium Exchange. Would you say again, just for me, what the inputs are to that calculation? Yeah, the inputs are the transaction size and the transaction type. So you'll see in uh, Viridium's white paper, they use a jet fuel transaction. And a jet fuel transaction is given a percentage. So let's say on a $50 million transaction, it's a uh, 50 basis point transaction fee that's needed to appropriately offset the carbon emission. Now they easily know, okay, I just need to spend 100K to offset it, and that'll all be done behind the scenes. So I don't actually have to deal with the carbon credits, even though it's fully accounted for and fully traceable. So they uh, could go into that level of granularity. And so in the current environment, is there a limit on the number of carbon credits available? And and so I guess before I before we dive into that, so Viridium is not an issuer of carbon credits. They're only reissuing existing carbon credits through their basket. Is that accurate? So Viridium is not an issuer, that's right. Um, although it is affiliated with a very large one, uh, which is a, a company owned by the management team. And what, what happens is when carbon credits are created today, they are listed on a, a registry. So uh, market is uh, one of the leading registries for carbon credits. And in the case of carbon credits that are owned by Viridium, they're, they're held in a market registry under the Viridium Foundation name. So you can actually go to Viridium's website and uh, we have a link there that shows the carbon credits uh, that are actually backing the ones that have been issued to date. So you can actually see with full transparency that those carbon credits exist. You can get information about them. And obviously the, the tokens behind that are like every other blockchain token, which is highly transparent. Okay, so before we dive into the specifics of, because Viridium uses a two-token economy, 
I'd like to discuss that. But I'm curious, and I, I would imagine that this is a question that's emerging with some of our listeners as we go through this. I could definitely understand why someone would be interested in funding this project, but talk to me about where does the value come to investors, and is that value that's being taken away from efforts to improve the environment? Everything that Viridium is doing is additive to the environment and it's protecting the environment. And the two token model that the company has created really supports that and I think creates an invest an, an interesting ICO for people who are participating in it. Um, first of all, everyone, so if you invest 100K, into the project, you know, you receive 100k worth of carbon credits at $10 a piece. And I am not an investment advisor. And I encourage people out there to do their own research. I personally look at the impact that the Paris Agreement might have on carbon prices in the future. And, you know, I, I would recommend that that's the number one way to base a decision on where the prices might go on on that asset. The second token is called Verde. So, you know, we have the asset back token carbon. Second one is a utility token called Verde. And and this this token is really important around the exchange. It's um I would equate it to something similar to a Binance model where it's uh effectively creating a staking mechanism in its use on the exchange. All trading pairs trade against it. So carbon token trades against Verde as an example. And uh, more broadly than that, it also has a burn associated with it as new carbon credits are issued into the ecosystem and eco-smart transactions happen, which are part of this partnership that they have with IBM. So I I encourage people to uh, read the white paper, read the the website, has a, a a whole, an entire section that I think provides a lot of interesting information on on the company's two token model. I I certainly think that it's a very interesting uh, combination that they're offering. I definitely think it's a it's an interesting model, but I, I still to me that didn't seem to answer the question that Jack asked, which is like exactly where is the value to the investor coming from? The I, I totally hear you. The the issue I have is. Um, you guys may or may not know that I'm in the process of registering as a broker dealer. And as we look at the investment environment in the crypto ecosystem, it's just very challenging for me to give public statements that may lead to investment decisions. So um, my, my best advice to people is, you know, we certainly believe in the project and there's a lot of information on the company's tokens out there. And I think that, you know, the Verde token is probably the the one that's the most difficult to understand. And on that one, I would encourage people to really take a look at, you know, how Binance structured their token and to think about if if a large amount of people were to make markets in on Viridium Exchange, what that might mean in terms of uh, an implied staking around the Verde token. You know, if if this gained a lot of traction, you would have a lot of people who are holding sell orders on Viridium Exchange's order book, which means that they have Verde tokens, which are implicitly locked up in a way. And and, and a thought game to play would be to possibly look at, you know, if the company is issuing 
$25 million worth of Verde tokens in its token sale. And if they're giving up 50% of the tokens, that's an implied $50 million market cap. You know, what would happen if a large amount of, of Verde was burned from that? And what, what might that do to the price? And I think that gets to some of the deeper mechanisms that would support Verde having a market price being zero. The reason Jack and I are asking this, Jaron, is that typically with the vast majority of projects we see, the the value of the mechanism that an investor is investing into a uh, into a project is often at odds with like growing the network itself or distributing value to the users. So you talked about Binance specifically. I actually think Binance is like a great example of how Binance explicitly kind of gets the value to the investor or the staker or the user of the BNB token and takes that away from other users. So the value from that BNB token is derived by not giving that discount to those that aren't using the BNB token. So to me, BNB is a, is a, is a clear example of where the value for the investor is accrued directly from like the utility that could go to the network. And that could potentially be fine if you balance that. But just to kind of be explicit about like, is it something where if the if the network goes up, the investor goes up, or is it something where like the the investor is accruing value in their in their token at the expense of the of the network and the user? And just to, to caveat, I don't necessarily think that even if the investor is taking uh, is accruing value at expense of the 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 user base, that's necessarily like a a bad thing. Like I think there's a I wouldn't make this argument, but I think there's a strong argument that by having the BNB token and taking some value away from the average user to those that are staking and paying for the transaction fees with BNB token makes people more invested into the Binance network and use it more. And then even though it's taking some value, the net aggregate effect is is high. Does that make sense? Is that would you say Viridium applies kind of to is is like a is a similar mechanism to Binance in in the value accrual for investors. I would say that, but I well, I, I don't know that. So you know, for instance, the the exchange you know holders of Verde do get better pricing than than others on the exchange, but I but I think that there's a much larger role that Verde plays. In that one, um, one, one thing I hadn't mentioned is that it's actually a, uh, a carbon neutral currency. So uh, in a world where we're talking about Bitcoin mining costs and what the environmental impact might be of the electricity used in mining, this is a, a carbon neutral currency. And, it, and beyond that, it's really a reserve currency for natural assets. So while today the company is very much focused on carbon credits and will be particularly focused on onboarding new carbon projects and so a wide array of different types of carbon credits and creating markets around those. I mean, water is a huge issue and water credits will probably emerge in the coming years. And and there are all, name any public natural asset that exists and new markets can be created around that. And so having a, a common currency that those can trade against that itself is carbon neutral, I think is is important because it it supports a sustainable ecosystem that the company is trying to create. In terms of people who are, are holding the token, 
um, there, there are a variety of value creation mechanisms that I think are embedded in, in the token model itself, one of which is the burn, one of which is a better pricing element for users of the exchange. And I think when you take all of these together, in addition to just what the what an underlying carbon neutral asset might look like, I think that to the extent that the company is successful in creating mass adoption for its platform, that'll reflect um, a lot, particularly through the burn model. I'm curious to learn more about the deforestation thing because it seems like, you know, so if we're talking about like a solution to deforestation is like paying landowners not to deforest their land to gain the profits from like trying to get palm oil or whatever. Yeah. That seems just like a way to drive up the price of palm oil. And it just gets increasingly expensive to get people. That would actually be a great thing for humanity. The problem is that palm oil has creeped its way into all the products we use. And this is leading to more and more forests being devastated. So, and and you also have to think about it. Like there are endangered species in all these forests. And to the extent that people care about that, we're actually saving species here. So the impact that carbon credits might have in driving up palm oil prices may actually lead to different types of chemicals being used. Um, hopefully they're sustainable. And, and I think that you're also seeing a lot of ESG investors really start to come against palm oil, actually. So um, th- this is a trend that over the next five years, seems like it'll inevitably grow and palm oil usage should reduce, we hope anyway. But at a minimum, a project like Viridium is one of the the few endeavors out there really trying to solve the issue. And, and, you know, one of the reasons why I'm spending so much time with the team on, on getting this project funded is the impact that this single project can have is immense. So you don't have that many people who really understand the credit market, carbon credit markets, and to be able to work with people who are plugged into that industry, are able to partner with a company like IBM and create a tech platform that even though it's going to start out small, could emerge into something very big that's very global is, is why I'm interesting because it means that my short time that I have on this planet could be used towards something that you know may actually save millions of lives and change the way that we we manage our economies. How much of the success of Viridium do you think is dependent on like adopting a cap and trade system? I look at this is where we start to dive into some of the uh, peculiarities or details of the carbon markets. And and there there are different types of carbon credit markets. There are government mandated markets and voluntary markets. So as of today, Viridium will really benefit from this this continued ESG investor demand. And as government markets emerge, it seems apparent that voluntary markets will inevitably benefit from that. So my my personal view on things is that it's completely inevitable that within the next 50 years, but probably the next 10 or 20 years, 
um, we're going to see a big shift in how governments are looking at at carbon economics. I believe a simple solution would actually just be to require companies through gap accounting to include all of their external costs in their financial statements. And, and we could create rules around that so it's not so vague. But an easy one to do would be to start with carbon credits and carbon emissions. And just by starting there, if a policy like that were enacted, it would have a monumental shift in carbon credit usage. And, uh, and we're, we're definitely talking like, I don't know how many zeros you add to the X, but it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's large. So, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at the future here, like think about gay marriage in America and how quickly that was a fringe topic. And then literally within a matter of months that just became the norm and it was now legal. I, I view a similar shift happening in America really globally first, but um, you know, I'm located in the U S and uh, when I'm looking at our domestic politics and, and what might happen here around carbon credits, there will come some point where the political tides turn because we're seeing such damage in, in our economies. Like just think about Miami, you know, um, Miami has been getting a lot of press, uh, you know, Vice is one of my favorite news sources, and Vice has done a really good job of covering the fact that certain streets in Miami literally get flooded every night, and it's directly tied to our oceans rising. And as these problems keep getting worse, at some point, the political tide will shift along with it. And and so, you know, I, I can't give you a date. I don't know when that's going to happen, but what I know is that a lot of my time is being spent uh, trying to make it happen. Make it happen as in change the political will of the United States to support. Yeah, exactly. Speak out about the issues, create a platform around it. I'm in the early stages of really defining it because, um, you know, when I started out in the industry, I came in as kind of an uninformed libertarian so I knew that I believed in libertarian principles broadly, but in terms of do I believe that there should be absolutely no social net or do I believe that there should be no public education or public roads? Like at the core, I don't define myself as a libertarian. So, you know, I'm taking principles from many different political philosophies, but at the core of them, what I would say is the most important one, it's environmentalism. And so where I, how I look at things is we need to place the environment first. It's, it's less about the environment. It's more about uh, hum- humans being able to live sustainably on the planet. And being in the crypto space, I, I get into conversations, we'll call them arguments with libertarians about this all the time, which is why do you want government intervention to you know, when free markets can handle this themselves. And the problem is, is that free markets can handle the effects that we're seeing of climate change, but the clearing factor, the clearing market factor is human lives. So if you believe that human population needs to be reduced by 90% or more, there's an argument to be made that free market capitalism left completely by itself can solve the problem. But I think there's a better solution. I'm not going to draw any extrapolations from like the very last two or three sentences you spoke. (laughs) 
You don't sound like a libertarian, but I'll take your word for it. Without sort of devolving into a broader conversation about the role of government in our lives and what's the best solution for maximizing human welfare and or human and animal welfare and or human plant animal bacteria welfare. (laughs) Zach, are there any other questions concerning the tokenomics of Viridium that you're interested in pursuing at this moment? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to kind of be a stickler here, Jaron. And I, I feel like you outlined like in a, in a really good way, like the, a lot of the mechanisms of the tokenomics, but still feel like you kind of didn't, didn't answer like the, the value accrual, like, but based on what you're saying, it seems to me that like the value accrual for investors comes like at the expense of like the network or in this, uh, in this case, like the environment. That's kind of what I, what I've gotten from reading about Viridian beforehand, what you've said on the podcast today, and then comparing it to like similar token models like BNB. And, you know, we just want to give you an opportunity to speak to that specifically. Um, can you explain why you think it comes at the expense of the environment? Well, I, I guess take it back to like, why not just have companies contribute directly to charity? Presumably, if there are investors in this project, they're investing assuming that they have some likelihood of gaining a profit. And so where does that profit come from? And is that profit detracting from what would be accomplished in a more direct and perhaps centralized approach? I'll give you a very extreme example, and it's purely to prove a point. Great. We love that. $50 million initial market cap of Verde. What would happen to the market cap if the company were so widely used that it was burning $50 million of tokens every year? It's it's not likely that everyone would sell their tokens that first year. So the price would go up, right? So that's an extreme example. And I can't, you know, I don't want to uh, be in the business of giving projections on what the actual numbers are. I think investors um, need to do that themselves in their own diligence. But with that example, I think it shows why burn models are a good model and that's why I like them. And to address your question around, does that come at the expense of the environment? I, I think it's the opposite. If the platform were being used to that level, a lot of that burn would come through the issuance of new carbon credits. So that means that usage of carbon credits is going up. It would mean that the planet is being effectively offset in its carbon emissions by a huge amount more. So um, I think that the burn of Verde will will be closely aligned with the the global good that this project's doing. So so what I'm hearing basically is that the the profit or like the the accrual of the tokens is directly coming from the money that would be allocated to the environment, but that by using Viridium, more people will opt into the carbon credit system and it will grow bigger which will have a net positive effect but it's still like the 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 value to investors or the profits have to come from somewhere right i would say that burn mechanisms are are usually to the extent that the company is burning a lot of tokens that that reduces market supply of the token over the long run and um, also create you know if you look at market supply and market demand affecting price and market supplies going down, price would go up. 
so that that's the simple economics uh, on um, how I would explain Verde and why it could go up. And and I, and I know I'm being a little high level about it, and that's on purpose, uh, mostly because the regulatory environment that I live in is um, is one that I think people need to be very careful about. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not an RIA either, so we're, we're not trying to get you to make you know an investment recommendation. We're just trying to understand kind of the the mechanisms at play here for this this token economy. For sure. Do you support regulations around, you know, our industry in terms of having to be very careful about what we say regarding potential investments? You know, I what I don't like about <laughs> regulations. You can tell is, where this is going. <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is a great topic and uh, one I think about a lot. What I don't like about regulations is that it ultimately creates a small community of companies who can do business together, right? That's what that's what broker-dealers are. And I can't say, hey, I'm going to be a broker-dealer tomorrow and like we're good, right? And then be, if I do something wrong later, then maybe I'm penalized. Like you first have to get approved and, uh, and I'm in that process right now. That's the part of regulation that I, I don't personally agree with. But the parts of regulation that I do think are good are, for instance, um, like securities fraud laws. And honestly, we've seen a lot of this in the industry is just terrible projects raising money from unsophisticated people who have been kind of led into this FOMO pattern of like get rich quick. And, and that, that's not healthy. And that, that's why the market is, uh, has pulled back a lot, right? Because we, we had this hype mania and a lot of people have gotten burned and the investors went away. So I think where we're heading is probably somewhere that makes me a lot happier, which is the market has become more sane again. And I think that what we're seeing in the market right now is that the good projects are getting invested in still. It's a lot harder, but the good projects are flowing to the top. And the ones that, you know, if they have founders who make people kind of not feel right or the project doesn't make sense, like how many token models did you guys look at last year where you were just like, why is there a token? Why is there a blockchain? Why does this company even exist? This is a terrible idea. Like, I think we're starting to see a lot less of that, and that makes me happy. Well, I just want to chime in. I, from my vantage point, or I'm not seeing a lot less of that. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely agree with you Like overall. But I, I'm going to let Jack chime in. I, I think he was going somewhere with kind of the regulatory. Oh, well, landscape. no, I don't, I don't want to go down that path. I definitely I want support. You to. <laughs> well, I'm not going to. But um, I will say that, like, I think. Having a legal system that punishes fraud, I, I'm not sure. Well, I think that's that's sort of a common law issue, or that's addressed by common law certainly, and disrespecting property rights. So, for the libertarians out there who are worried that or had a, a brief moment of panic that you know in the sort of ANCAP future there won't be a way to address securities fraud, don't worry. So, this has been at times maybe more antagonistic of a conversation than perhaps you're expecting. But we do absolutely support you and 
if Viridium can play a role in improving future human welfare and current human welfare, whatever other welfares uh, you're looking to maximize, I wish you the best of luck. And we'd love to have you back on to give us any updates about the success or how changes in the political climate are affecting token design uh, of Viridium, you know, anything of that nature. And we really appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Yeah, this has been great. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the project. I obviously care about it quite a bit. And uh, pre-sale kicks off October 1st. Uh, Block Tower and Brian Kelly from CNBC have already participated. And we're, uh, we're really excited to, um, to open this up. Yeah, Jaron, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we'll see you in Vegas. Yeah, look forward to grabbing a drink with you guys at the, at the win. How about that? It's one of yeah, my I favorite places to play poker. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. My favorite place to drink. Okay. We have a match. All right, until then.